1979, the first issue of Fangoria was released into the world. It's been over 40 years, and they are better than ever with each issue, bringing you 100 pages of exclusive, carefully curated content honoring horrors past, present, and future. These articles and interviews will never be published online, so the only way to read them is by getting your hands on a physical, collectible copy of your own. We can't give anything away because we want the experience to be a surprise, but we can safely say that you do not want to miss a single page. So, Head on over to Fangoria.com to learn more, to subscribe, and while you're there, make sure to enter the promo code KINGCAST to save 25% off your yearly subscription. Now on with the show. Hi. My name is Stephen King. The ice! He's gonna break! Bad rum! Bad rum! Well, sometimes that is better. Hello and welcome back to the KingCast on the Fangoria Podcast Network. My name's Scott Wampler. And I'm Eric Vespi. And we are your hosts. This week's guest list of accomplishments is long varied and frequently hilarious you may know them as the masterminds behind the found footage festival which has been touring the world to great acclaim for nearly 20 years now Uh, though you might also be familiar with them from the truly impressive number of high stakes pranks that they pulled off over the years one of which resulted in a federal lawsuit much respect they're also the stars of a brand new documentary by the name of chop and steel which is one of the funniest yet ultimately heartfelt documentaries you will see this year. I cannot recommend it enough. Today, these lifelong pals are here to talk to us about the greatest movie ever made, about the combined power of friendship and going to look at a dead body. Rob Reiner, stand by me. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the KingCast stage, Mr. Joe Pickett and Nick Pruer. Gentlemen, how are you doing today? Good, fellas. Yes, thanks for having us. Oh, Great man. to be here, yeah. I'm so excited. I, you know, I was familiar with Found Footage Festival, obviously, but and I knew about K Stress, the the Yo Yo Champion, but some of this, some of the other stuff that's in Chop and Steel um, had missed me, and so this was one of my favorite things that I saw at Fantastic Fest. I've watched it multiple times since, um, and like I said in the intro, I think I think our audience in particular will will be big fans of this movie. Um, if any of them are unfamiliar with you, would you um, would one of you like to describe what it is that y'all do? Our main gig is uh, Joe and I have known each other since we were 10 years old and we've collected VHS tapes since Mm -hmm. then at at thrift stores. And since like 1991, we've been collecting, you know, odd training videos and exercise videos and kids tapes at, uh, at thrift stores and then showing them to friends and making jokes about them. That's, and then we parlayed that into a a career doing that on stage uh, with our show, the found footage festival uh, which showcases all these sort of non-movie VHS tapes that uh, were were in the uh, bargain bins of history, and uh, we rescue them and uh, take people on a guided tour through our collection. Yeah, and your collection is pretty fucking insane. Like it's well, y- yeah, we have uh, in in our office in Brooklyn, we have over eleven thousand VHS tapes <laughs> at this point. And like Nick said, it's not movies. We have we have a movie section. But it's like exercise videos, training videos, <laughs> uh, public access. We have a ton of public access stuff, how-to videos, instructional videos, safety videos. It's just that's our bread and butter, really. And so that's what we focus on because those are the videos that you know weren't int- weren't necessarily intended for 
a room full of people to watch. You know, when you watch this <laughs> training video, you're, you're sitting in a, in a smoky break room uh, watching it by yourself and hating it. And then, I don't know, something cathartic happens when you get to a room with a bunch of people and you can watch this. And now you can laugh at it. Yeah. So, oh, absolutely. Yeah. And also um, keep, keeping in mind that like all these are made in an era where it's legitimately the funniest era that could have been documented like this, right? When you're, oh, yeah. you're talking about like white people discovering hip hop and you know, it's like, you know, oh, they, they, wrapped, they wrapped everything back then. Oh my God. It is. It, there, there's just a treasure trove of what the kids today would call cringe. And, uh, uh, and you guys have actually been able to turn that around and make it, you know, uh, make it into something very, possibly educational, definitely very funny uh, to remind kids uh, just how terrible the late 80s and early 90s was for for a lot of people. <laughs> we, it was we a perfect storm of awkwardness. So, you know, it was like a golden age of home video. So everybody had camcorders. It was easy to produce videos. And the format was new. So people were just throwing ideas at a wall and seeing what would stick, whether they were good ideas or not. And, and we're still reaping those benefits. <laughs> we, Lots we, of we star thought- wipes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's so many wipes. Uh, yeah, we, we've been doing this for almost 20 years now. The, the tour we've been doing for almost 20 yeah, years. And right. after like, I don't know, volume two of our show, we're like, oh, well, that's it for dumb VHS tapes. I guess there's no more. And boy, were we wrong. There's just this <laughs> bottomless pit. And now we started doing this web show on Tuesday nights called VCR Party. And now people send us stuff and they know what we like. So we just got like, we got like a Hooters training video. Uh, on VHS oh, the man. other day. Yeah, we're, we're getting like the good stuff now. It's even better now for us. <laughs> That's incredible. I, you know, when before that, before people were actually sending them to you, you're just scouring any place that might have VHSs and, and picking them up. Am I right? Yeah, we grew up in a small town. There wasn't a lot going on. So, you know, we would, right. when we weren't taking hikes on train tracks we were uh <laughs> hanging out at goodwills and salvation armies looking for things to entertain ourselves and you know t-shirts and then we answering machines started turning up we'd get answering machine tapes and listen to them on road trips so you'd hear people's incoming messages you know and get a little window into what was going on and uh, when they turned in the the tape uh, at the thrift store and then vhs tapes in the 90s started showing up and people weren't giving up their movies they were giving up things like the, the video that came Home with movies. a wall, like a, or the, or the thing that came with a beard trimmer when you bought it, you know, it would come <laughs> in a, in a, in a plastic, uh, you, you know, case with a VHS tape on how to use it hosted by, uh, the guy from home improvement. You know, it was like, <laughs> it, those were just turning up everywhere at thrift stores. So we would, you know, on Friday nights have folks over to parents' basements and, uh, watch them and fast forward to the funniest parts and, make jokes and that's essentially what we're doing now it's just in a in a theater the the first video we ever got that really got us excited about it was uh nick was working at a mcdonald's and uh nick Nick, why don't you tell it you uh you lived it well my friend is training to become a manager at this mcdonald's in in our hometown in wisconsin and uh they had to watch i think 30 different vhs training videos (laughs) in, in this break room on the little tv vcr unit and I would just, I'd pass the break room and he'd kind of roll his eyes. And one point he, he grabbed me uh, and he goes, you got to come in and see this one. And it was called Inside and Outside Custodial Duties. <laughs> he was like, why do I have to watch this? It's for McDonald's janitors, which that wasn't a position we had, you know. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it was this dopey, you know, custodial trainee's first day on the job. And uh, this trainer who is way too 
too perky. Uh, told him that if he cleaned extra hard, he could hope to see Mick C, um, which stood for McDonald's clean, but it's unclear exactly what or who Mick, Mick right. C was. Mm-hmm. There's there's debate over what Mick C is, whether it's like this ghostly character or if mm-hmm. it's like we, we like didn't Krampus. know what it was. Yes, yeah. exactly. And every, yes, everybody had their own theories on what McSee was, and we watched it over and over. We wore the tape out, and we got obsessed with it. And training videos are actually kind of hard to to get, so uh, you know you have to actually like work the job. They don't end up at thrift stores usually. So yeah. right out of college, I got a job at a video duplication house where my job was to make copies of VHS tapes, and I got all oh, sorts boy. of industrials that came in there, and the collection grew from there. And then I actually got a job at a Suncoast video. Do you remember Suncoast of videos? Of course. I oh, love yeah. Suncoast. Yeah. I had heard that they had the worst training video. It was like, oh, no. what, what, oh it was a Wayne and Garth giving you pointers on on a customer service or something like that. But it was like impersonators. And I was like, I got <laughs> oh, God. So I actually like, I actually like filled out an application and I did the interview. <laughs> I got hired and I worked a four hour shift. And I went into the break room and I stole the stack of training videos <laughs> and I brought them back and I was still working at the video duplication house. So I duped them all and I brought them back the next day and I was like, Hey, I can't work here anymore. Here are your training videos. Uh, thanks so much. Bye. And I just like <laughs> ran out of there. Uh, but the bad news is the, the, the Wayne and Garth customer service video was not on there. Boo. There, oh, there was one on. of like Siskel and Ebert giving like a impersonators giving <laughs> thumbs up or thumbs down for for customer service so it was worth it it was worth Wait, the- were they all like movie character related <laughs> like they, fiend? They, they try to make them fun yeah yeah yeah. they all the, because i, think I remember Suncoast, there was know, a guy n- dressed in a trench coat and he'd be like of all the video stores in all the world you had to come into suncoast <laughs> and it was like it was that kind of stuff and but the other thing i remember is you you Stole those videos. I mean, you returned them, but one of the tapes in there was an anti-shoplifting video. It was yeah. like how to bust shoplifters. <laughs> well, yeah. you know, if there's one thing I know, it's that if there's anything more fun than fun, it's corporate mandated and produced fun. So, yeah. you know, those those sound just delightful. Corporate um, indoctrination with like a spoonful of sugar. That's that, right. that makes it go down easier. But there's jokes, so you don't feel terrible yeah. about your life while you're sitting there watching this. Yeah. Oh, I've and in that era was. too. In that era too, it was all the Dutch angles and all those snap zooms, and we call it we call it Beekmaning. You know, the, the Beekman's World show. We call yeah. it Beekmaning. So they like Beekman the shit out of all these videos. Just to loop back to the Mixie thing for a second. Yeah. When I first saw the movie, I was thinking um, that Mixie might be. Short for McCheese, short for Mayor McCheese. Mm. Oh, and, you know, and he might be, he is a mayor, obviously. He was duly right. elected by his, you know, constituents. So <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking that, that I was thinking until, you know, later in the movie where it, it gets a little, you know, basically explained that that might be what it that, was. Here, here's mm-hmm. another theory. I'm telling you, this, this training video is so layered. Mm. Everybody yeah. sees something new in it. So. Fucking I like Joe, Joe, you're like, oh, everyone had theories. Everyone meaning like our four friends who'd come and watch tapes. <laughs> and, and, and now Scott and Eric. But that's about yeah, yeah. the only people who've had theories on this. Right. But anybody my, who watches it, you'll have a theory. My crazy In, theory is that all the theories are all equally correct. And so <laughs> now it's this, uh, it's this amorphous King Ghidorah kind of. <laughs> that's like Ghidorah. wishing for more wishes. You can't. Make- <laughs> You can't do like, that. It's not allowed. While, <laughs> while, while collecting all these tapes, have you ever come across something that 
you weren't supposed to see <laughs> or maybe something upsetting because I feel yeah. like dudes just collecting VHS tapes from all corners of wherever especially when inevitably movies lead to shit. a situation where you catch a snuff film or two. There's well, compilation, re- you know, like we're from like the era of tape trading where you'd make yeah. tapes of the most messed up stuff and or, or right, you know just sure. your favorite finds and put it on a compilation and dub it for friends and by the time it got to you you'd have an 11th generation copy and there's a few in there like the r bud dwyer thing oh, yeah. um oh, i remember right. janine garofalo telling us that david cross would always put that at the end of his tape uh, compilation <laughs> she's like david don't do that i'm in a good mood i'm watching like funny video dating reels and here's you know our Bud Dwyer shooting himself on live television at the end. <laughs> like it just was this sick joke that he would do. But there's right. one. I'm Joe. I'm thinking of the the uh, Steve Vai fan video. You oh, know sure. I, I, I know this one. I've seen it. You play yeah, beautiful music with your guitar. Yeah, I play beautiful music with my pussy. Yep. What? Yeah, the Alamo yes. used to run run that the back in the original. What? There was only one location. They would run that that in the uh, one that we'd call Uncle Goddamn. I don't know if yes. that's what it was actually called. They, they would play that all the time. We, yeah, we've been too that, scared to play it. We we're just like, I don't know if we can get away with it. Wow, <laughs> Alamo Draft House early days. Yeah, Tip my no, wild, like wild west. You know, pre, yeah. pre pre corporate Draft House when it was just uh, Tim and Carrie like running the projection and like running all the food to you and stuff. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that one for those who haven't seen it, it's a fan. I think this went around on bands tour buses, but mm. the guitar player Steve Vai, a fan sent a video, and yeah, she said that you know she could make crazy noises out of an orifice other than her mouth mm-hmm. um, to uh, impress him on his birthday and mm-hmm. uh, proceeds to do that and blow out candles and do other <laughs> it's, party it's tricks. Actually, it's actually impressive too. Right. Like she's nailing it. Like she's but blowing disturbing out because she's got this dead eyed stare and you're like, eh, <laughs> you can't really play that in a public setting with paying audience members. So that's what? one we haven't really shown. All I want to know is about the moment of discovery there where she figured out she could do that. <laughs> the like, story. like there had to be a moment where it was like, wait a second. Because they don't teach that in school. Like you have to learn that right. on your on your own. Yeah. Right. How do well, you maybe she you... had a had an old mentor. And it takes five hundred hours to master anything. Yes, so, right, for sure. Right. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe there's a candle nearby, and she accidentally. <laughs> um, no, I was gonna say one video. One video a that... jack o' lantern on Halloween on accident. <laughs> <laughs> one video that we got in the mail that we really debated showing. We ultimately showed it, and uh, I wouldn't say it's a hit, but I, it's it's talked about a lot. We got this uh, unmarked. There was no return address when we when we received it. There was no letter inside. There was no label on the tape. It was just a VHS tape with this 30-minute excerpt of this show from the Bay Area called Something's Happening. And it's like you catch it right in the <laughs> middle of it. It's a public access show. And he has on this guy named Arthur Bloom. And Arthur Bloom has this theory that everybody's dying this toxic death. And he has the answer for it. And then it cuts to this home movie footage, real creepy home movie footage. And he's wearing like this... Um, you know, tank top shirt and it's in his filthy kitchen and he's spraying grape juice into his mouth with a spray bottle. He's like, you put grape juice into a spray bottle and he's spraying it inside his mouth. And this is like a really old man too. And then he's spitting it into a coffee filter 
And then he's showing all the foam and he's like, this is toxic death and this stuff will kill you. This stuff is going to kill you. And he just talks a mile a minute about this toxic death <laughs> that kills babies. He's like, this stuff kills babies and, and, and you need grape juice to spray it out. And it goes on forever like that. And we're like, this is so bad shit. We got to play this. And we played it, I think, like at UCB in, in New York. And it was just like, it fell to like silence. But I was like, <laughs> I think that's like, I think that's good silence. Because you can see the gears turning in people's heads. So I don't know. That's good is that a we strong ultimately word. Decided. What's that? I said good's a strong word. Um, <laughs> yeah. Everyone's sitting good. there in quiet contemplation. Let's like try that. to elicit silence in this comedy show. <laughs> um, yeah. <at> UCB. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, now we we haven't really touched on uh, chop and steel yet, and I want to make sure we focus a a little uh, attention on that before we move on to the Stephen King stuff. Um, uh, tell us about chop and steel. You were followed around for four years. You told us before we started recording. Uh, yeah, the, the we're filming of, this. The connective tissue between Found Footage Festival and this is that Joe and I. Uh, started touring with the Found Footage Festival in 2004, and we were doing, you know, about 120 shows a year uh, before the pandemic, and uh, would go on these local morning news shows to promote the show and get people to come out at night and show a couple of clips off. And, and uh, we realized right away that the news folks were not really doing their homework or paying attention. Um, they would get the name of our show wrong or occasionally forget we were coming. And, uh, so just to entertain ourselves while doing these morning shows, we would do like little bets, little dares, like uh, a, the two word phrase challenge was one thing yeah. I started doing. I would I would uh, like before we'd go on, I would whisper two words into Nick's ear that he had to work into the interview <laughs> at some point because these are always live, too, and they can't cut them out. So um, I, I think the best example was it was a Houston, a show, in, a morning show in Houston. Uh, as we were going on, I whispered in Nick's ears. I said, basketball murderers. And murderers had to be plural. I'm a stickler for it. So Nick had to work in basketball murderers somehow into this conversation, and, and he nailed it. He always nailed it. it was Is so it much each fun. word or the, the full phrase? Full phrase. Words. So oh. basketball murderers has to be together. Normally you, you can like cut. You can start. You can normally you can like figure out an easy way to drop that in without them noticing. But that one was like we're on in three, two, and I'm like, oh no, how am I going to do basketball murderers and. I, I honestly thought I was going to come up empty. And then at the end, he gave me a little bit of an opening because he said, uh, well, he was, I could tell he's wrapping up. But he goes, and so tell us, who are the kinds of people who make the videos that you show? And I was like, oh, uh -huh. here we go. They could be crazy. They could be basketball murderers for all we know. But uh, tonight's show, you know, and then the guy didn't bat an eye either. No. He did bat an eye. And I, meanwhile, I have like tears streaming down my cheeks. Like <laughs> for I'm no reason. So goddamn yeah. hard. Yeah. It's kind of remarkable how. If you just present yourself with confidence and say what you're saying with a straight face, yes. Even if it's fucking bizarre, whatever you're doing, people will avoid the confrontation by not saying anything, mm. you know, well, and internalize it. Like, yeah, that's what we learned with all this with, with get, doing these morning news shows. So, yeah, after that two word phrase challenge, and we're like, well, let's see what else we can do. I was living in Milwaukee at the time. And my buddy Mark uh, had just moved from Oakland. We were both there and he was unemployed and he was like, let's do something. So I was like, we, we came up with the idea to like write up a press release for a fake person and get that fake person on these morning news shows because it was so easy for us to get on. So what if we just wrote up a press release that was this total slam dunk? So we came up, uh, Mark and I came up with uh, Kenny Strasser, the yo-yo expert. <laughs> and, uh, and Kenny... Uh, 
the, the conceit was that he would travel around the country to schools teaching kids about the environment with his yo-yo, which doesn't make any goddamn sense at all. And, <laughs> well, and, and there's enough clues in the press releases that if you did your homework, you would ferret out that these are not real yo-yo awards. And, you know, you got you to gotta give them an honest shot to do their homework. We said he won the Kyoto <laughs> International yo-yo competition. And that sounds like a thing, but it's not a thing. And, uh, yeah, they didn't do any homework. And we got him booked on seven morning news shows. And, uh, and, and, but we would have him do things where he would show up. And this is Mark Prooks, who's in uh, What We Do in the Shadows. Mm -hmm. And uh, he was on The Office, Portlandia, mm -hmm. a bunch of shit, Better Call Saul. Um, so we did the idea, I mean, he has no idea how to yo yo. So, like, we had to come up with creative ideas to get around that. So, one time we had him show up with his yo yoing arm in a sling. So, he, he had to do it left handed. Uh, one time we had him show up with just the yo yo, but he forgot to bring the string. <laughs> and, and so he'd have to talk his way out of that. Um, yeah. And so like, or he'd and show up that, and be like, Oh, I didn't realize this was a demonstration. I, I guess I can explain the tricks. <laughs> so he would explain them. <laughs> so uh, yeah, after seven of those, uh, one of them went viral and it blew up and Mark moved out to Hollywood. And then uh, I, I continued doing a uh, found footage festival. And then we were like, Oh, let's just keep doing them. So a few years later, we wrote up a new press release for Nick uh, this time saying that he was a celebrity chef who who wrote a book on what to do with your Thanksgiving leftovers. Mm -hmm. And uh, and uh, the idea was that he would come up with the grossest recipes and then offer them to the news anchors to see if they would actually eat them. That was the idea behind Turbo that. Turbo gravy was my signature recipe, uh, <laughs> which was just all your it was all your leftovers like turkey, gravy, corn, mixed with skim milk in a blender and then made into like a smoothie or you know, poured over other food. And it was just I was gagging while making it on the air. But then like you were saying, uh, guys, like if you're confident, you're like, here, try a little bit of this. You know, <laughs> right. they just they don't want to rock the boat. So they're they're gonna you know, do what it takes to make this segment not be a disaster. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly that. When I was when I was waiting tables, we used to play a game called Unnecessary Objects. And the way the game worked was like uh, you would you would you would be playing with another server. Right. And you would pick one of each other's tables and then bring them an item that they had not requested. And like the more elaborate and absurd the item you could bring, it could be anything you could find in the restaurant. Uh, there was a very nebulous system as to how we awarded points, but you could just tell, you know, <laughs> and we I, I brought I, there was a guy sitting alone once I brought him seven booster seats and just set them in the chair across from him and like nodded politely and then walked away without a word. And he just kept eating. Didn't say a fucking word. We did this for. We did this across. I, I did this across multiple restaurants across multiple years, and the only time I ever got fucking called on it was I. I went a little too far at an Olive Garden once and brought uh, a, a two top that had just sat down. Like they didn't even have their drinks yet, and I took one of the huge potted plants that's like on the side of the bar, like a two foot tall pot of plants with a bunch of flowers in it brought it over and slammed it down right in the middle of the table and did a little bow and walked away. And they were like, what is this? Like, what is going on? Like the guy raised his voice immediately and a uh, manager came over and that was, that was the end of. How did you explain message. your way out of that one? Uh, by that point, they had caught me doing a number of other things where they didn't even ask, you know, we had, we, I mean, I could, I could tell you hours worth of stories. Another game oh. was called, 
um, celebrity dining. And we had, um, that was a place I worked and they had a private dining area that was draped off. But when it was busy, they would open it up and people would go sit in there. It was slow. The room remained closed. And we would tell guests that, do you know who's eating in there right now? Scott Bayo, and they would lose their fucking shit. <laughs> like you couldn't, you couldn't say like Tom Cruise or fucking right, right, you know, right. Brad Pitt's in there. You, had, the game was to pick like the most low level, non exciting yeah. celebrity you could, and see Bayo level. Lose, yeah, yeah, people would lose. Lorenzo their shit. Lamas is in there right now. <laughs> yeah. Willie Ames, the only <laughs> got a side salad. <laughs> yeah, um, oh, I want to work a job with you someday. Oh, yeah. We'll That's join forces gonna and fuck things up. Do people have those? I mean, is that a thing now that you have any entertainment you want on your phone at, at any time? Is that a thing? Are people bored at jobs anymore? That's a good question. But it like, you know, in any of the years I spent bartending or, or serving, like they, you know, you wouldn't have a, a lot of time to be on a phone. And even then it was like you weren't supposed to be on your phone. Yeah, this was a way to have fun at work while also inconveniencing the guests, which was, yes. you know, talk about like, you know, a perfect package. You know, we we love that. Um, oh, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Anywho. I, uh, yeah. I went through a phase, though, like when I at, before I got that Suncoast training video job, I um, I uh, got a job at uh, Toys R Us because I, I lived across the street from it. My brother and I, we had a lot of time on our hands and we we decided to get hired as a joke. And we uh, would just try to get fired the whole time. So we would always show up every day with like ketchup on our mouths or like chocolate <laughs> on our mouths. Um, and then we would we would show up late. We would take really long lunch breaks. I dared my brother to like fall asleep <laughs> in the aisle, like on the bike aisle, like in between the bikes. And he fell asleep for a long time and nobody said anything. We called ourselves Kip and Quick Cat. We demanded that everybody calls Kip and Quick Cat. Um and then we eventually got fired, but then we then we put up a stink about it too, and we said like we want to talk to the regional manager. So we actually got a <laughs> meeting with the regional manager, and we brought in graphs saying like why we shouldn't be fired. And uh, <laughs> man, I mean that's something you do in your twenties, I guess. Yeah, uh, I, yeah, I don't know that I would have the energy for it. No, not at <laughs> all. Those days are long gone. So yeah, all that all that nervous energy in your twenties really goes a long way, though. Yeah. Um, so uh, before the listeners uh, drag us out in the street and shoot us, I suppose we should get to some Stephen King stuff. So um, let's let's start with uh, each of your your Stephen King origin stories. When did you first become aware of Stephen King? My, my dad was a huge Stephen King reader. And so he... I thought you were about to say your dad was, was a literal huge Stephen King. Oh, he's <laughs> that, enormous. He's a huge version of Stephen King. Animatronic King. Yeah. The mech suit that he, yeah. I remember, I remember he sat me down, like, when I was, when I was like, you know, probably fourth or fifth grade. And he's like, I think it's time that you can read some Stephen King, like fourth or fifth grade. And he's mm. like, these, these, mm-hmm. like, he sat me down like we were having a birds and bees talk, which we never had that talk. But we had the Stephen King talk. Well, he'll let Stephen King teach you that, though. Yeah, here's a yeah. disturbing, uh, sex scene and it why don't you uh, start <laughs> yeah. there i i don't remember what i think it was in bachman books I'll, all i remember from it and i should have done this research before i got on here but uh it, it it the person was killed by some rusty scissors and uh i think it was like a jack the ripper type of story and i remember him saying like i think you can handle this one and i read it and i was scared shitless and i didn't sleep at all that night but i, I just wanted more after that it sounds and, like uh, Spring Heel Jack. Hmm. Oh yeah, 
Yes, I think that's it. Yeah. Is that Bachman books? Um, no, no I think story. it's a short story. In yeah. One of his collections, okay. So. Yeah, yeah. I think that that sounds really familiar. So, but then uh, my first rated R movie of all time was Stand by Me too. So that's a mm-hmm. uh, that's that's yeah. I, and I remember like going and seeing it and like seeing swear words on the screen and mm-hmm. uh, uh, it was fantastic. I remember going back to school the next day and telling all my friends like the dirty parts or like the swear word parts. Uh, the, what was it? The Hershey, <laughs> the Hershey in your, in your underwear part. I remember thinking that was <laughs> right. really funny and, and telling my friends about that. So yeah, I go way back with Stephen King. And then my brother who was like, I don't know, I think he was 10 at the time when Pet Cemetery came out. My dad took us Jesus. to see Pet Cemetery, yeah. which I think is <laughs> the most horrifying movie of all time. I think that's number one <laughs> horror movie of all time. And my brother left the movie because he was too scared and he walked into see no evil hear no evil instead <laughs> in the Did middle of prior and yes, yes. <laughs> he walked into that during a scene where uh a woman was in the shower uh and her breasts were out and so uh-huh. he's like that was the day i became a man as i saw breasts for the first time and i saw like a child get hit by a semi so... <laughs> is that the scene that sent him out it wasn't zelda no. Oh, I wonder if it was Zelda. We talk about Zelda. We send Zelda gifts all the time. Because <laughs> that would be a, a, a hell of a, a swing there, going from Zelda to uh, you know the '80s boobs and the, the shower. Yeah. It might yes. be why he's so messed up today. Yeah. So yeah, <laughs> I feel like I, I my story is a lot like your younger brother's, Joe. Because I um, Stand by Me was the first uh, Stephen King exposure I had. Um, in terms of movies, but I, I couldn't, I didn't go see it in the theater. It was a friend's taped off HBO copy. I didn't watch rated R movies uh, in the theater. I wasn't allowed. So I was, uh, and I, because I was super sheltered, I was like terrified of horror movies too. So if anybody was watching one at a sleepover, I would pretend to be sick and go home. I mean, I was that kid. Oh, I was man. a real Vern basically. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, but man, stand by me is, is, not just I'm not just saying that because that's what we're going to be talking about, but probably the most formative um, movie. Uh, it just came at the right time for me, and and like you were saying, Joe quoted it all the dirty lines and the way they I talked. St- I still think about it all the time. You yeah, know, especially the pooch I, and you know all yeah. that well, stuff. Especially when I see it. Yeah. Yes, Gucci's, Especially when I see a deer by myself. Mm-hmm. That's always when I think about it. Mm-hmm. I'm going to keep that one Whenever I'm in yes. a field in the morning and I'm wearing a red and white striped shirt and I see a deer. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. After you've exactly. had an unfortunate incident with a leech and you see <laughs> other wildlife. Yeah. Oh, I thought of something else too. My youngest brother, I have two younger brothers. So my middle brother, he's the one who saw Pet Cemetery when he was way too young. But my youngest brother, when he was like, at that point, my parents didn't even give a shit. Like when he was like five or so, I think he watched either Cujo or Creep Show. It was on HBO mm-hmm. like every single day. Like back in the eighties, they would mm-hmm. you know, they hit the every single day on HBO movies. And he yeah. watched one of those and he got so scared shitless that after that he would never sit in the living room for like weeks. He would always put, <laughs> like he'd watch TV from the dining room. Like he'd put a chair in the dining room so he could watch TV. He associated like scariness with the living room so he just wouldn't even go in there he'd still watch tv but it'd be through the doorway from a different room so he needs like a magneto prison to, yeah. to sit and watch <laughs> exactly I, that's how i was too like that's why like i did watch running man eventually and because that was one of the less scary things but like carrie you know 
the miss Firestarter. I just avoided those children of the corn. I wouldn't be caught dead watching at that time. <laughs> so I, I went later in life and caught up on all this stuff. But I, I remember in high school is when I first took a dive and read it. And it took me probably two years to read the entire <laughs> thing. Um, and I think to this day is still the longest book I've ever read. But then when the uh, TV movie came out, I was glued to that. And, and that was really formative. And, and Joe, like your dad, my dad to this day has every Stephen King book in hardcover. He mm. just, he has them on the shelf. Yeah. He reads every new thing that came out and like um, on writing and no matter what it is, it's, he's got the, the day it comes out, he's got it and has read it. Do you all read the books at all? Yeah. Or are you more- well, okay. Yeah. One of my biggest novel, like the biggest novel I've ever read was probably uh, Needful Things. And I'm, I'm the same way mm-hmm. as me. We're, you know, we're VHS guys. We watch things more than we read yeah. things. Right. Right. <laughs> but uh, Needful, so it wasn't exactly the fastest reader, but yeah, Needful Things took me my entire senior year and I read it and I loved it. So yeah, that was my first like novel of, uh, of Stephen King. And mm. I, I still read like the short story comp- compilations. Those right. are my favorite very digestible and fits low commitment. <laughs> fit, yeah, fits into my yeah. lifestyle uh, now. But um, I did read uh, up through book five of uh, Dark Tower. So Ooh, yes. that was those were like the last I think big Stephen King books that I read. That's I'm astounded crazy. that you got to the fifth book in yeah. the Dark Tower, but didn't bother finishing the goddamn. I know. <laughs> I know. It was... You got like two thirds of the way through the journey, and uh, yeah. I started to drop off around the time of the 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 uh, Charlie the Choo Choo and some of that stuff. I was mm. I that didn't quite land with me that much, or uh, but yeah, I, I was compelled enough by the universe. Sure. I, well, the, how the dare last, you? But <laughs> sorry. The the last novel I read, which I think might be my favorite Stephen King of all time, because I just I couldn't put it down, was eleven twenty two sixty three. Oh yeah, oh, I read yeah. that uh, mm-hmm. maybe three years ago or so and i just i still that's another one that sticks with me that i still think about uh all the time and mm-hmm. uh, it just had everything for me the the time travel and the uh uh gambling mm-hmm. and the oh man i just love that one that's uh, another big boy too yeah yeah that is a big boy and i yeah i, I got a little faster with my reading since high school but uh, <laughs> that one's still like yeah probably six months for that one but man, it's yeah, weird like uh, that with that book, there's so many memorable moments. But whenever I think about it, the first thing I think about is how, you know, there's basically a scene where the time traveler gets busted because he's singing Rolling Stones lyrics. He's uh, what is it? Uh, brown sugar or something like that. Oh, yeah. And like his uh, his girlfriend is like, what are you talking about? Yes. No, it's a honky tonk women. That's the song. Right. right. And uh, I don't know why, but that like stuck like a, a pebble in my shoe in my brain and so the, now every time i think about that book it's the first thing i think of the, the thing that i think about i remember that he he went back in time to do two things to like save that one woman who got uh shot by that stray mm-hmm. bullet and then he had some time between that and uh, jfk and he had downtime and I loved his downtime so much where he had to like go to this cabin so he wouldn't disturb anything. You know, he wouldn't accidentally he had to like he was like in a cabin and he wasn't really doing anything. But I was like, that is my ideal world where I just get to go somewhere. <laughs> I have no responsibilities. But when I come out of it, I'm only I've only lost two minutes. 
You know, like when he comes out of the world into our yeah. world, it's two minutes. I'm like, oh, that is a dream. I want that downtime. Like that, <laughs> that would that be would... pretty refreshing. I oh, it would be that. so great. Yeah. So, um, what is your? What are each of your picks for the best and worst Stephen King movie? Mm. Uh, best and worst. Oh, yeah, boy. of what you've seen. I think for me, my I think the best one still is The Shining, even though Stephen King doesn't like it. I mm-hmm. I still think the uh, the non Stephen Weber uh, Shining <laughs> is uh, I think is a masterpiece. I'm a big Stanley Kubrick fan, so there's a lot of good ones. I mean, there's a lot of great ones, but um, that's I think that and and that's probably up there for me. What's yours, Joe? My my favorite is uh, Pet Cemetery, hands down. I right love that movie. I watch that one every Halloween, and uh, it's just so he breaks every single rule of movies in that one. Mm-hmm. He kills a pet. He kills a child. It's just oh man, you're not supposed to do that in movies, and it just has the the everybody dies at the end. I mean, spoiler alert. I mean, everybody's watches. The, everybody yeah. listens to this has seen pet cemetery probably sure. 17 times. So, uh, but yeah, it's just, I can't believe this movie was actually made and I can't believe I actually saw it in theaters and I can't believe my 10 year old brother at the time saw it too. <laughs> like, I, I don't know. That's the one, that's my number one favorite. I, and I think for me, the, the, <laughs> the one that I was most disappointed by was the Langoliers. Um, <laughs> the CGI. Yeah. I rewatched it within the last five years, and uh, I love I love John Ritter, and uh, he's in that, right? That's, nope. No, that's Bronson it. Pinchot. Yeah. Oh, Bronson Pinchot. That's what I'm yeah, I got of. the Bronson pinch Pinchot. in it. Yeah, we yeah. Had the pin- we had the pinch on the show once. And oh, I got to listen to that episode. Holy shit! Yeah, we well, we did a live event at Fantastic Fest, mm-hmm. and like he was a surprise guest there um this was zoomed in yeah he zoomed in because this was still during you know uh it was the one back from covid yeah yeah and um some lunatic director overseas uh a a a greek guy had taken the um film for the langoliers and printed out every frame of it in black and white on sheets of paper and then he like cut whole scenes out he re-edited it he works like these bizarre sort of um deformations in the animation into them like so the mm. the paper might tear and you'll see like eyes looking through or it's really fucking weird it's all in black and white and they cut that whole mini series down to like it's like an hour in length and yeah. so we screened that at uh at fantastic fest one year and yeah oh. he, he he was there as the guest on that and then we had him onto the show and man, that guy's like a great storyteller. He tells some funny ass stories. Oh, that's, that's I great love, to hear. Yeah. I love weirdos yeah. like that. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah. 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 Um, my, my least favorite is probably, and this, this is mostly because I thought it was just the most forgettable one. Um, yeah. Like, like Nick said, we're from a small town in Wisconsin and like I'm from a town of 2,700 people. So our video store was our gas station. You'd mm. rent, movies at gas stations and uh i remember seeing like stephen king's name bigger than the title it was uh sometimes they come back i think it was 1991 <laughs> yep. and uh I, I remember renting that i was like oh stephen king yes let's get it. i was with my uh girlfriend at the time and uh you know I was, we were just starting to make out so we popped that in i was like oh this is gonna be great and then i was just remember being bored by it 
I can't. I don't even know what it's about. I I think we made out throughout the entire movie, but uh, you didn't miss much. I don't. Yeah, yeah. It's it's ghost greasers coming back, greaser bullies coming back (laughs) slowly to torment the kid that they bullied. Yeah, and they Uh, made like fucking three sequels to that guy. Yes, exactly. I was gonna say. Yeah, no, it just felt cheap. It didn't feel like a a Stephen King movie when I watched it. It almost felt like a TV movie or something. Was it It a TV movie? It it was, and I think it was one that. No, that was actually a short story. That was based off of a short story, but that one was because uh, later on he would make uh, TV miniseries that were like original things. That like this is the first time, and those are actually pretty good for the most part. Uh, Storm of the Century is is a big example of that, where it's like this is an original miniseries idea from Stephen King, and it's actually pretty good. Um, Golden but, Years uh, was original too. That's true. I, I feel like that was from the sometimes they come back era. But just to just to put that into perspective, though, we've done this show for three years now, and uh, we've had all sorts. We've we've hit, we've had people talk about you know all the random Children of the Corn sequels and all that stuff. We've had somebody come in and do. Sometimes they come back. Nobody yet has even mentioned in in a, a passing <laughs> breath. Golden That's years. True. So, <laughs> so never but, come up again. Yeah. Never. Never. But, but does yeah. Children of the Corn two does that count as Stephen King? Did he did he write that? He didn't write that. No, did he? No. no, none of the Children I mean, of the Corns are. You know, it's just based on the original short right. story. I think is what the right. credit is. But I'll tell you what, Corn Corn Boys two is my personal favorite of those movies. Mm. Um, I think it is like peak uh, early nineties. See it on cable at three a.m. Trash yes. uh, with some really just absurd kills in it. Um, I mention it every time this comes up on the show, but there's a scene in that movie where the corn boys pilot uh, an old woman in a wheelchair um, via like an RC controller uh, through the window of a bingo parlor at about looks like 800 miles an hour. It is fantastic. Uh, (laughs) Highly recommend that one. Also, if you guys have not seen, have you all seen trucks? Well, yeah, we have a show on uh, our channel, like it's a late night horror show called uh-huh. uh, Midnight Rental. And the host of that, uh, Lenora, is a big Stephen King fan. And she showed clips of uh, specifically the um, radio controlled truck. Yes. Repeatedly <laughs> ramming a guy's oh, head. Yeah. I, I immediately put it on my list. It's like a five minute scene. It yeah, just goes it, on it, and it on. It keeps going. Yeah, it's uh, but the problem is, though, is you've now seen the best part of the movie and uh, and then you have all the other terrible Canadianness that happens around it. So uh, I wanted to ask you about that because um, uh, Nick specifically, because I was I was poking around on your website and um, was reading about Rem Lazar. Am I? Yeah. Am I pronouncing that properly? Yeah. Creating Rem Lazar, this 1989 children's movie musical, actually. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds like it sounds right up my alley. Um, But you said something in here, uh, quote, we thought it was religious at first, either that or Canadian, because something just seemed off. And I I wanted to bring up trucks and this quote, because we've talked about this on the show before, is that you can always spot a Canadian production. Um, Do you have any insight into what defines an obviously uh, Canadian production or what you think the difference is that? You know. Usually there's somebody named Alistair and you're like, huh? <laughs> yeah. That's the names are always just a little bit off. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, But that, yeah, apart from that, no, it's just this undefinable. Something's a little bit strange. It's like, yes. um, 
you know, the streets look a little bit different. Uh, the houses look a little bit different. The accents are a little different. There's something indefinably, I don't know, it, you can spot it. And so, yeah, so I, our thought usually goes to, is this Christian or is this usually, like... At, at first, Christian is always the safe bet because it's usually Christian. There's so many Christian <laughs> videos. That's one of our biggest shelves in our office is Christian videos. So when you, you, And you know it when you see it. And this just screamed Christian video. We thought for sure, but no. That, then the second guess is always Canadian. Yeah, just everything's just, even the way they talk is just off, you know? I don't know. I think I've described it on the show before as as, uh, a lot of Canadian films feel like Manila folders look like. Do you know what I mean? Like it's a a very, it's not blank. It does have some color to it. It's just Mm -hmm. beige. You know, this Uh this movie feels very beige to me. And yeah, that's, that's. See, you're no you're no better at defining this than I am. So that, that makes me feel feel good. It's yeah, it's the Supreme Court's definition of pornography, you know, you know it when you see it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, you know what isn't beige is stand by me. And there's something really beautiful, and I'd like to kind of dig into how this movie looks. Um specifically, we're gonna be focusing, I believe, on the Rob Reiner movie. Um the short stories actually, or the novella is, is very close to this film. So, you know, it's one of those where I don't feel like we're skimping out on the Stephen Kingness talking about the movie itself. Because uh, 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 in terms of adaptation, this is like one of the closest adaptations to what mm-hmm. was written. Definitely. And I think, I think it's why uh, it's one of King's favorites. And he, he cited this one as like kind of an example of why maybe novellas, you know, are, are the better things to adapt or the easier things to adapt for, for King world. Um, now there's something about the way that this movie looks that um, it, it's really interesting to me because every time I, I revisit it, there's, there's, there's kind of this like, I don't know, milky haze throughout a lot of it. That's accentuated when they're doing the dream sequences or the flashbacks. Um but there's something that that could be so cheesy, but for some reason, the look of this movie always stands out to me as like just kind of a perfect uh, nostalgia filter. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. I, I don't know if you guys have have any sort of opinion or feeling on on that or if that like stood out to you or if that works for you in the same way uh, of just like being kind of the ideal of if you're going to make something that's heavy on nostalgia, you know, the to me, the ideal look is what rob reiner got here with stand by well, me I, I think what i think they captured summer perfectly with mm, this one right. summer summer for kids who like are too young to have jobs which yeah. which for me i always cite that as like the greatest era of life like when you're <laughs> the summers between school i don't know what like fourth grade fifth grade sixth grade like before you have to start working at a fucking grocery store or something right mm-hmm. um that that's what they really captured, and, and I think it's like towards the end of summer too, where where it's like you have that impending doom of school hovering over you, and you you know you feel like you have to milk those last few days of summer, right. and uh, I they just they capture it perfectly. Um, yeah, it has like an like, Amblin feel to it. You know, it's like not, yeah. I mean, one is it's all the adults are evil and kids are on their own and have to figure things out. No, the adults won't listen to them, but but it also has that look to it, and I think the I think they shot it in Oregon. Um, yeah. It, the, I, I reread the uh, novella and it's set in Maine. No surprise, but, um, but yeah, that, so that, that sort of, um, I don't know, that lush green uh, uh, Oregon comes through and right. Um, but yeah, I, I, 
that struck me too. I watched it last night on the 4K um, Blu-ray, and it looks great for like Rob Reiner at the time. Like he'd done, I think, the Sure Thing, and then Spinal Tap, and neither of those are really known for their visual flair, you know. <laughs> right. But this really nailed it. I thought I was really impressed with the direction, actually. Is the cinematographer yeah, we, like a, a, a? I'm looking it up right now. Uh, who was it? Do you know for uh, Stand By I Me? I don't know off the top of my head. Okay, I'll take a look. But go ahead. Well, uh, we we talk about how Reiner is sort of a an unsung hero in the Stephen King canon, just in terms of adapting, like Misery and yeah. yeah. You know, um, it's it's hard to nail a Stephen King adaptation, and it's. The idea of doing it more than once is something only a few people have pulled off. And that's, you know, Rob Reiner, Frank Daramont and Mike Flanagan. Um, no one, no one else has done it. A lot of people have failed. It's, it's, it's very hard to not only adapt the book to where, you know, fans of the source material don't feel like they're getting screwed in the process, you know, yeah. like too much is being left out. But streamlining it for the screen and still maintaining King's voice, I think, is just a really uh, difficult needle to thread. I'd love to know what you guys think of uh, Kubrick's Shining. Like, do you do you guys think that that was a success or a failure? I mean, obviously, it's a great movie. What a piece There's of no shit! No, but, but I mean, <laughs> as far as like, as far as like a Stephen King adaptation, though, like, do you mm -hmm. think? Uh, did he nail it? I mean, because I know that Stephen King didn't mm. like it, right? I it, mean, like it. It really eh. depends. It, you know, it depends on your. It, 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 this is something that we've kind of discovered talking through this title on the show is that your love or hate of that movie is solely depends on what your definition of adaptation is. Okay. Right. To me, it like it's just as important, if not more important, to adapt tone than it is specific you know character beats right and you know so i view the shining as a and and actually i think it's a great adaptation because it's one of the few king adaptations that i get the same feeling watching it as i do reading it you know what i mean sure. um now yes you can tell you know that kubrick made a lot of drastic changes and king would tell you that he believes his novel and his characters are warm and kubrick is ice cold and that's not incorrect and like you know literally the the book ends with the overlook on fire and the movie ends with jack frozen right so you know it is it is a, a fire and ice uh oh, comparison, yeah. but but the the thing is, though, is like, I, I just think the movie's just so fucking good that it doesn't really matter that it's not, you yeah. know, a completely, um, I don't know, accurate adaptation. Right. Um, and I think he, what he adapted from King's book, he got the important things he, where, where it counts. And, and this is to the point where Entertainment Weekly asked us, like, in the first year of the show, if we would, like, list, you know, make a write a, a, a top King cast top 10 Stephen King adaptations and we picked oh, yeah, the shining as number one and saying, we know that this is going to be very controversial because a lot of King readers and diehard Stephen King fans and King himself would radically disagree with it. But like we kind of broke it down in terms of what is going, what, what, what is the most important movie? Like what is going to have the most important cultural impact? And it, it's kind of hard to deny that The Shining is one of the most culturally impactful horror movies that's ever been made, you know, even more than any of the other ones. Yeah. I, I mean, I tried to watch 112263, the series with James Franco, <laughs> yeah. and oh, it's just, oh, it's wonderful, boy. isn't it? 
Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's the worst one of the, Just of the adaptation. Just stop watching it. That might, it's, it's pretty I don't bad. know. I didn't watch it all, so I can't really say. But, like, it no. didn't match anything that was in my head during that. You know, like, the, the vision I had did not match that at all. So yeah, I want to go back to something you said a moment ago about, like, I, I guess it was just asking the question of if we like The Shining. Yeah. And I think it would be a really funny bit if we just f- suddenly one episode decided that we hate The Shining. Because <laughs> 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 like, it comes up like almost every episode somehow. Right. You know, and just be like, you know what? We've been giving it some thought. and Fuck that movie and yeah, fuck yeah. that book. Like just really right. like all in on but, hating The Shining. But then the episode after that, you love it again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We'll just never commented. <laughs> yeah. I, I noticed a- something <laughs> in um, rereading the novella uh, yeah. that um, at one point they're counting up their, their money and, um, to, you know, and they're, they realize they haven't brought food mm-hmm. and uh, they count up their change and it's 237. Mm. And then, and of course, room 237 from The Shining. But yes. then, um, but in the book, The Shining, it's room 217, and Kubrick changed it to 237 because the hotel was concerned that they'd never be able to rent out an right. actual room 217 if he called it that. Yep. But then, different seasons, the, the compilation that I was reading that has. Uh, the body in it came out yeah. in 82, which would have been two years after Kubrick's The Shining. So Stephen King had to have seen that and then put 237 in the body, right? As a reference? It, it, could, and, it couldn't have been coincidence. And, yeah. and, and my guess and my first instinct when you brought that up was to go, I bet you Stephen King just forgot that his was 217. Yes, that's probably true. And, yeah. and like had just had the movie more fresh on his mind than him actually writing the book. Yeah, it uh, definitely and, does that shit with numbers. Yep. You know, we know that he, the number 19 comes up a lot. You know, sometimes if you add individual numbers in a sequence, it'll equal 19, you know. Yep. But also, it could just be a subconscious thing, you know? Yep. Yeah, yeah. I just thought, I thought that was interesting since it was like, it's a movie he's tried, you know, yeah, I'd never noticed about it. not, you know, that that's not the canon of The Shining. Yeah. And yet there there's 237 in the, when he's counting up the change. Yeah, and I only noticed that because I was rereading it last night. So mm. I also, I listened to the audiobook this week. And, and the one thing that I didn't remember, I had read it before, probably in, you know, college or something. But uh, the, the the part about Chico's uh, short story, the Stud short, City, <laughs> yeah. Stud City, yes, I, I completely forgot about that, and that's not in yeah. the movie at all. I think nope. that's the one difference that the movie has from the from the novella. Uh, oh, but man, I love that. It was really clever how he tied it all back into like the, uh, you know, all, all the details from the story you've been reading are in the details of the right. story that you're now reading. Yeah, it would be no. so jarring if that shit were in the movie, though, dude. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's like it's like so the Black so Freighter and Watchmen. You know, <laughs> yeah, it's like right. the story within the story. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, but yeah. yeah, I liked it too. And then immediately after the story, he's like, "Yeah, that was a shit." Shit yeah. book I, I wrote when I was in college, you know. But, but, he, yeah. but he made you read the whole thing, which I, I think is great. <laughs> and he well, talks and- about the misogyny in it, which I thought was interesting since Stand By Me does not pass the Bechdel test, you know. It's, <laughs> yes, it's, sadly. The, the, the only women in it are referred to as like skags, and, you know, it's it's not exactly a. N- women don't have any agency in the movie at all. Mm, yeah, no. that's true. When we talk about this movie, the conversation inevitably turns to who do we kind of see ourselves as in the group? Um, And, uh, 
you know, we had Will Wheaton on the show and we were talking about this and, and, uh, and, you know, of no surprise, Will Wheaton was like, of, of course, Gordy, but he's like, you know, I really was Gordy, you know, in, in my real life, I was an artistic kid. I read a lot, you know, I was, you know, I was kind of the shy kid. I was never the cool kid. Uh, and, you know, I, I always saw when I was a kid watching this, I, even though I look like Vern, I probably, I felt more like Gordy, you know, um, uh, did you guys have anybody that you like related to, or did you kind of have like pieces uh, of each of the? Yeah, I mean, I I definitely felt like Gordy in the body shape of Vern at that age. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, how can you not feel like? I feel like everybody watches that and they're like, "Oh, I'm Gordy." You know, mm. like I'm surrounded by this cast of characters. I don't know. He's just like the perfect everyman uh, in a movie, and. Uh, yeah, I feel like I'm Gordy too, but maybe I don't know. Maybe I'm more Teddy. I don't know. Like Nick, yeah, I definitely Nick you tell me, Nick, am I who am I in this, Nick? I mean, you know uh, me better than I do. I mean, your dad did burn your ears off. Yeah, uh, yeah. Long gone. So, yeah. yeah. So that's. Uh, I mean, you definitely are more of the agent of chaos. I would say. So yeah, yeah. I mean, you'd be more likely to like look a train down and no, I wait, did do shit like that. Jump in time. Yeah. yeah, I did do shit like that in high school, actually. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, crazy stuff and, like, you know, uh, petty crimes, you know, more yeah. than anything. Um, but I didn't, wa- I didn't had- want to call you on it, but uh, if, <laughs> if one of you guys didn't pick Teddy, I was going to call bullshit. Yeah. So. Well, I, Teddy's an extreme example, I, I think, right. but I think I would probably lean more towards Teddy. Everybody thinks they're Gordy, but I, I think I'm probably more Teddy. Uh, one other thing that uh, just came to mind, like, one thing that I've always wanted to do in my life, and I never did it in high school, and that was my opportunity to do it, was mailbox baseball. And I'm mm. still, I'm still not crossing it off my list. I still like maybe like if I get like a terminal, you know, illness or something. <laughs> yeah, maybe yeah. I'll have like That's my your friends. Take wish. Me. Yeah, You're, maybe I'll have yeah, my friends take 80. me. <laughs> yeah, you, I want to. You need. Do some... You need to get a, a fucking solid set of what the rules are though because i don't get an, any idea what the rules are watching like what's a foul ball when it's when it yeah. shatters it's like oh that's like, a double you're not gonna you know yeah you got to set the rules up if you're gonna go go do this in real life i'm just my saying. youngest brother who was scared of uh, who, who uh, watched tv from the dining room he said he did it in high school and he's like it's not as easy as it looks it's uh <laughs> it's not it's not what you're picturing in your head uh it hurts uh, when you make contact, and uh, usually you don't knock it over. So, uh, yeah. but still, I'm I'm keeping it on my list. I would, I would <laughs> imagine that to be the case. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're going like what 45, 50 miles an hour, presumably. Yeah. No one's right. doing mailbox baseball at like a cool twenty. So <laughs> no. you know, you're gonna yeah, when the fucking bat collides with one of those things, man, you're. I and I think shaking your whole arm. Yes, exactly. The bat probably flies out of your hands too. Like, and you need to be in the back of a pickup truck. I think they were in a car though, right? Yeah, they were yeah. just leaning yeah. out the window. But you know, that's them. The olden days cars where the the doors were as you know, yeah, massive, and you could lean your whole body out of a window like that. I yeah. think never- they've uh, they've you know shied away from imitatable acts in movies these days, but. That was if you were from a small town. That's absolutely what you would do. Like uh, oh. I remember kids van surfing after Teen Wolf, and yes, uh, of course, I remember yeah. somebody always died from that. The, the program standing in the middle of the, you know, it was like, of course, there's nothing else to do. Let's do the thing we saw in the movie. <laughs> I never, I know we never played mailbox baseball. Probably because I mean, where I grew up, everything was brick mailboxes. Yeah. So oh. if they had not been, I imagine the the mean streets of Plano, Texas would have been under, under constant fire. 
Um, <laughs> were they yeah. brick? Were they yeah. brick because that was the problem? Because like they had been burned too many times before? No, I think it was just like an up, upper class suburb. Oh, <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, you know, okay. everything was more than it needed to be. You know what you I'm need saying? A dynamite then. But right. we did do a thing in my buddy's truck where on several occasions we would. Um, well, one time we were behind like in the this huge parking lot that was behind a grocery store and were or that whole area behind it. And uh, we had one of the shopping carts back there and we're like driving the truck as fast as we could go from one end of the fucking parking lot to the other. Yes. And then and somebody's in the back and then they let go. Yes. At, you know, when the driver we did that too, we did that yeah, too. And, try, and we were trying to shear the fucking wheels off the thing by aiming it at a curb. Yes. Could not get could not get the wheels knocked off this motherfucker but oh my oh. god it was the funniest thing i feel like, like we're practically brothers we did that too and we'd run it right into a curb and it would like do like three flips in the air we would get yeah, it going yeah. so fast i mean we've done <laughs> that as recently as five years ago joe but <laughs> I, we still do this on the road while at walmart parking lots so yeah, yeah. Oh, good times oh man you know you Brother. mentioned about how the um the like this period of your life is is possibly the best, you know, debatably, right? Yeah. Um, you both seem like you had a fair amount of fun as kids. Like, did you ever go on an adventure like this where you set out? You're basically on a quest. You're going to do a thing, and it's going to involve traveling a great distance without adult supervision. Anything like this? Yes, absolutely. <sighs> this and but it it was in our heads. It was so much better because I I remember like like literally going on hikes on train tracks after seeing this and, and, and Goonies and convinced either I'd come upon a pirate ship or a dead body <laughs> and or a dead pirate. Way. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. But, uh, but really just, you know, we'd find like a beaten up penthouse in the woods and that was, but that was a good, you know, that was a successful quest. But yeah, I remember like making, um, survival kits you know like putting a sewing kit and bouillon cubes in a backpack and you know in reality you're you're behind the quick stop woods you know and, and you know you're back by dark but right in the suburbs that's kind of what felt like an adventure oh mm. and bb guns and, and slingshots i had all that stuff and i had arsenals and i was big into survival yes i had the survival knife you know like the uh uh-huh. like the rambo knife where you unscrewed it had a compass on the bottom and it had like the little saw <laughs> matches, in there and all that some matches in there yeah, Tweezers. yeah. yeah. And, uh, yeah. i remember one time with a, a friend of mine and i we would we lived in the city it was a small town so there were a lot of like wooded areas and there were a shitload of squirrels squirrels were everywhere and we had bb guns i mean what else are you gonna shoot so we, we shot and killed a squirrel and then we skinned it and then oh, we God. were like, oh, we're going to grill it out and we're going to eat it. And so uh, me and Jason Kep, we, uh, we we put it on a grill. We, we put charcoal in, we lit it and everything just like we didn't know how to grill. This is probably like this is one of those summers where it was just like the best summer. And uh, we kept on the grill until it turned black. And then we like each grabbed the whole like squirrel carcass and like tore meat off of it. And and ate it uh, off the carcass with all its and, organs uh, and shit still inside. Well, we we no, we gutted it and everything. We're oh, not okay. animals. No. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I forgot who I was dealing with. For a second. He used every part of the squirrel. <laughs> yeah. No, we took one bite and then chewed it like it was bubble gum, and then uh, I was like, okay, all right, well, we can cross that off the list. What uh, did we it taste also, like? Uh, I don't, I, I don't even remember. I really don't. I just yeah. remember like the, I remember the texture being like bubble gum. 
and just like ripping it off like I was a caveman, like ripping it off of that. But he and <laughs> I would also every single night we would go out and we would collect cans at the at the golf course. And uh, at the end of the summer, our plan was like to turn in all the golf ca- all, all the uh, cans. Mm. And this was like our our trip through the night and and the bikes and uh, oh man, it was and we got chased by people. Um, I remember somebody thought that we were breaking in and uh, we had have to bike and we, we saw them like right on our tails. Yeah, uh, that yeah, that was like the, the summer, my stand by me summer. Mm. Do you think that kind of reality even exists for kids these days? I, I I couldn't even guess, but my guess is, I mean, my guess would be no. I don't know. I never it, hear like, like younger colleagues or anything talking about like when I grew up. You know, we did shit like this, and it's along these same lines. All this shit yeah. sounds very familiar. To me. I, I yeah. think you like know? boomer parents kind of didn't give a shit back then you know like yeah. they're just like oh well just get back before it's dark or or don't it doesn't matter you know like uh, <laughs> uh but now i just i don't know i look at my brother i don't have any kids but like my uh brother and you know my niece and nephew and everything they're very sheltered you know like for a long time they couldn't have like any gun toys or anything and mm. uh uh yeah it just feels like uh, the parenting is is better but uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> i think it comes down to like to me, like a lot of the most fun I had and, you know, the reason we started Found Footage Festival was just out of boredom. And yeah. I just can't think of the last time I've been bored. Like, right. you know, I just have constant entertainment anytime I want. Podcast about the specific niche thing I'm into or, uh, you know, movies or. Yeah, there, there was a, a click hole, a click hole uh, article that came out, I don't know, last week that was. um I think it was called Perils of Tech Addiction. And it was teens now spend 80% less time driving around in cornfields blasting Quiet Riot than in the 80s. <laughs> right. well, and that was that spoke to me because that's what people would do, you know. And yeah. um, and of course, of course, it's not because of tech addiction. It's just, you know, that's not a productive thing that you would want to do now. But um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I think they're just there's much better things to do now uh, or more productive things when back then you just, yeah, you had a lot of unsupervised time that you needed to fill because you were bored yeah. and there wasn't anything else to do. Well, boredom yeah, is just You needed to van surf back then. Yeah. <laughs> right. You, need, you might be a teen wolf. You don't know until you van surf. <laughs> um, no, but, but, styles. But, but <laughs> we only uh, could hope so. Uh, we could only wish and, and aspire to be styles. Um, the, but you're right. The, the boredom is just different now. Like now you're bored because there's too much shit to do. Right. It, it, that's what you, you freeze up like on, you know, Netflix and you go, I have every possibility. And now yeah. I'll spend 45 minutes just indecisive. Oh. Uh, it, but that's just equally as boring as yeah. when I was a kid and having nothing to do. Right. But it's a different kind of thing. And I actually, you know, think that I prefer the boring of, of, uh, of being a kid and just not having those options and having to find that stuff. Yeah, find stuff for out, sure. You know, and it, it drove me outside. Like, you know, I've told stories on here about like, I used to dumpster dive around my apartment complex. Why? Cause that was fucking fun. Cause you never knew what you were going to find in, in there, you know, <laughs> a syringe, like, maybe, maybe it's dirty. <laughs> you don't know. Yeah, no, you might find some tetanus, you know, yeah, but, uh, barely used. No. Yeah. Yeah. Or so an there ankle. Was, there was a time during this point where we also had the BB guns and, um, we'd won a bunch of stuffed animals at the, uh, Stoughton County fair 
and we were decided to shoot the plastic eyes off of the stuffed animals. And um, this was not even during the summer. This was like on a weekend. In it was like on Mother's Day. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it probably was in May. And uh, we're in a friend's basement shooting the, the uh, eyes off of BB gun uh, or off of, with BB guns off of stuffed animals. And I went up to go to the bathroom. And when I came back down, my friends Jamie and Pete, who were two teddies, really, uh, were both pointing the BB guns at me. And uh, I was like, ha, 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 good, good one, guys. And they both aimed. Jamie missed, but Pete hit me right uh, on the inner thigh, but it might as well have been the nuts. And uh, I was like, ha, ha, guys, whatever. Then we continued to, uh, we continued to shoot the, the eyes off of stuffed animals. But then the next morning, I got called to the principal's office because uh, Pete had been telling everybody that he shot me in the nuts with a BB gun. <laughs> and this went around the school. So I come in and everyone's like, are you okay? I'm like, what? Yeah, fine. <laughs> you know, these were not, uh, this wasn't like a paintball gun. This was just a, you know, thing that you had to pump a bunch of times and it, it barely hurt, but uh, <laughs> it was the story. So I'm in there and I had to call my mom at work and be like, mama, they're making me tell you that, uh, when I was over at Pete's, he shot me in the groin with a BB gun last night. <laughs> She's like, okay, what do you want me to do with about that? You know? And also, why was I the one being punished? But, um, <laughs> this sounds oh, yeah. like a setup to a, confess uh, your uh, sin uh, of being a victim. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I just don't know that we would, although that does sound like a fun afternoon to me now. I don't know where we would find the time for that. Nick, Nick your groin is okay now, just to clarify, right? You're, you're all, it's all healed and everything. Your groin is fine now. Mm -hmm. Finally. Yeah. Okay. Finally cal calloused over. But well, what's well, weird I, is I had that question in my notes and I didn't even know I was going to tell that story. <laughs> you should have led with that one. Yeah. Um, I, I was going to say what, like, what, what's your groin some... origin story? <laughs> <laughs> it's a different podcast. Um, so, but I, I can, I guess I can relate a little bit to uh, the kids today and how they're, you know, they, they got their phones there and they have this, you know, and they prefer that over like going outside and exploring the world because we have a friend, uh, Tom, who we, we've all been friends since like fourth grade. We're still friends. And, but I remember going over to his house in the summertime, he, he lived on a farm and we had this entire farm to like. We could go the acres and acres and like, you know, hay barns and like cows dirt to bikes, harass, ATVs. dirt bikes, all that stuff. Most of the time we stood inside, we stayed inside and watched Police Academy 3. Like most <laughs> of the time. So I, I watching small wonder, it. you know, it's like, <laughs> yeah. So we have say, this whole the, world the, explore. But. Too many does, mosquitoes. Yeah, yeah. But does the, does the farm have Michael Winslow in it? Probably not. <laughs> no, exactly. the choice was we correct. Never checked, but I'm guessing it did. Yeah. My helicopter noises weren't half as realistic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one, this comes up, this also comes up whenever we do an episode on Stand By Me. The question is basically a tradition at this point. But one of the big centerpiece segments of this movie is where the kids have to, uh, the, the train, the, outrun the train on the bridge. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So the question I always ask is, if you, in this situation, you know, uh, would you make a run for it or would you try to dive into the water? Make a run for it. Yeah, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm fairly well, I used to be fast. Like, it, it, am I that age when I'm running on You're the train or am I my current age? Well, let's do both. Okay. Spice it up a bit. <laughs> current age jump. 
uh, back then one. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I I'm jumped for right. both. I, 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 like you know, with with Vern's body shape, I uh, was not a, not an athlete, and I, I do remember one time that I was a smart ass kid too, and I remember uh, one time walking home from middle school and I was friends with the, the star of the track team. We lived together. So we we're walking home and some guy in a house, he was, it seemed like a 30 year old, but he was probably like 17 goes, <laughs> goes, uh, Hey, come here kid. And we're like, no. And he goes, come here. I'll kick your ass. And we're like, no. And all of a sudden we heard him come down. He was yelling this from his room. He comes down and starts chasing us. And I was like, you know, mortal terror and was running as fast as I could and winded immediately. And I remember <laughs> saying to Andy, hold my hand. You know, <laughs> I, I've, I've never heard this Nick yeah, Kerr story yeah. before. This so, is the first. so meanwhile, the fastest kid in our school is holding my hand. And, and I'm, my thought is he's physically dragging me uh, <laughs> far enough away from He'll this. give you some more MPH. Yeah, from this terrifying, like, Kiefer Sutherland character. The ace of our, our high school was chasing us, and that's all I'm I can sorry, do. sorry, Nick. You, you're not Gordy. You're you're Vern. You're 100% Vern. You can't say that you're Gordy. You said you were Gordy before, right? I said right? I, no, felt like, I felt like Gordy is trapped inside of Vern's body. So. Let's be honest, okay. you know, with our friends and ourselves. Hold okay. My Hand is definitely a Vern thing. It is. That's a Vern move, yeah. 100%, sincerely. Well, <laughs> sincerely. <laughs> Uh, well, I think that the thing though is is that we're all like little pieces of each one of those people. We, I think, we all aspire to be Chris. I don't think there are very many real Chris's out there that are just wise and kind, and yeah. you Tough. know, like the person that that Chris should be president, right? And yeah. like that, Chris should be king of the world. You know, that just empathetic and no bullshit and sensitive and, and all that. We all want to be Chris on oh, none of us are Chris, but I, I think in, in reality, you know, we, we are just mixtures of, of those archetypes, which is probably why the movie and, and the novella have struck such a chord and have lasted as long as they have, because you either are pieces of those, or you want to be pieces of, of those, those kids and you also get it with the nostalgia of wanting to return to that time that we keep we've even hit it here you know talking about you know we, we we've all but said the final line of the movie you know it's like you never have friends like you do when you're you know when you're 14 or whatever right, right? it's like jesus yeah. does anyone yeah yeah it's like and you you never have that time that's the, i mean that's why this movie uh will always be the gold standard epitome perfect coming of age movie because you know, and, and you know, I've gone on this on the soapbox before, but like, don't call a fucking movie about somebody graduating high school a coming of age movie. That's not a coming of age movie, right? Yeah. This is coming of age. This is leaving childhood behind and moving into adulthood. You know, and and uh, I don't know. There's just there is there is something really magical, and every one of us have passed through that yeah. that moment, mm-hmm. have have experienced it. And, and in Stephen King's universe, sometimes that's accomplished by you and your friends going to see a dead body. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it involves getting fucked in a sewer. Yep. yep. <laughs> yeah. Everybody take a turn. <laughs> yep. Um but you know, the and one's never late. It, <laughs> yeah. And and one thing though that in rewatching it now from an adult perspective, because I hadn't seen it in a while, I think it's about breaking the cycle of terrible fatherhood in a way. And I mm. hadn't I hadn't noticed mm. that until the last scene where you know, Richard Dreyfus types those words and then he goes out and plays with his two sons who are that age right. because 
like everybody in the movie had a messed up dad, you know, and, That's and a true. messed up family thing. And, and like, they even talked about how like, Hey, you know, uh, Chris broke the cycle of that too. You know, his dad was screwed up and like, he ended in a different way, you know, in a tragic way, but he was able to like, you know, people didn't think he would amount to anything, but he was able to sort of break that, that cycle of, right. Uh, shitty dad. So I don't know. I think like uh, neither Joe or I are dads, but like watching it as an adult, I kind of saw that perspective a little, a little bit too. Or, I think like, yeah, yeah it, it may be like even more of like a boomer thing too. Like they, they had to come out of those, the world war two dads. And I remember, mm. I know for my dad, like his dad was a dick. Like, yeah. uh, you know, they were all scared shitless of him. My, my, my grandpa, when I knew him, like we were all scared shitless of him. Not that he was like <laughs> violent or a drunk or anything, but just like serious, and just kind of he'd enter the room and he's the alpha and he's, you know, you listen to what he has to say and he had to laugh at everything he said. They're scary. They're scary people. So I think that like this is such like a, a big boomer movie, too, because it's like, oh, we're emerging from this like shell of, of what, our, what our dads were. Right. No, there, there's a lot of generational trauma at play here. And it's one of the, but it's also one of the the reasons why I think you know especially young boys who watch this as young boys uh, you know they, they can relate to trying to find you know and if i i grew up without a um a, a father figure really like my my biological father uh left my mom when when i was very well actually my mom left him because he was abusive but like he was never in my life at all and then i met my stepdad when i was like you know that he came into my life when i was like nine or ten and like I didn't, my relationship with him isn't amazing. It, he, again, he wasn't abusive towards us, but it just wasn't right. You know, so every, every like male, uh, you know, relationship that I've had, you know, adult male or, or not, not at that age, you know, that I, I yearned for that, that, uh, you know, uh, influence of, of bonding, male bonding that happens in this. Right. And, yeah. and I, I, I've had those, you know, moments with, with friends and I had, there, there was one time where there was like an incident of bullying that happened in sixth grade. And it was like me and a couple of people who were friends and acquaintances, but not like close friends. Like we didn't sleep over, but they were school friends. Right. I'd see him at school. We were friendly at school and we were kind of all caught up on this. And we had one day where, and they would never do this again today. There's no school that would allow this, but in sixth grade, there was like bullying happened like in around, you know, middle of the day. And then they just said, Hey, if you need to take the rest of the day off, uh, uh, go, you know, go do it. Right. And in, by instances of bullying, it like happened to all of us, right? There was something that happened. I don't even remember the the details, but I do remember that the they gave us mm-hmm. permission to wander the school, uh, and like so we just walked around the school grounds and like the to, to like walk the it PE off stuff kind of a thing, essentially yeah, for the like fuck? the last three hours of the day, uh, where oh. we didn't have to go back to class and. And that day, like, was the closest that I've ever had to, like, a stand by me, like, real life thing, because it was just all of us. We'd gone through this, you know, thing together where we were kind of the bullying victims. And we just were like, we're here for each other. We were, like, telling really deep personal shit. Like, we were going around, yeah, just exploring areas of the school grounds that we'd never seen before. Were you at a stand by me age at that time? Yeah, sixth grade. So, sixth grade would have been, you know, just slightly younger because I think they're about all about to no that's about right that's about right yeah yeah. 
Yeah, because they're all, about to go off into a new school. I just yeah, didn't know yeah. middle school or high school. But the male bonding, I think, is the, the whole point I'm trying to get to here is, is you know, that's very important for kids. And I can understand why on in the written page, King put so much of himself into that, too, because he also, like myself, grew up without a, a father figure. You know, he didn't have a dad. He grew up with a single mother. And, you know, you can see him reaching for that or finding that male bonding importance in his friend group and that translating into these fictional characters you know those experiences translating you know into this uh, story which he's admitted is very autobiographical so and he usually shies away from that and just goes everything a writer writes has a piece of themselves in it but this one he goes yeah i maybe had a leech on my balls once you know it's like <laughs> like all that stuff really happened maybe that really happened so, um, i don't know there's an authenticity to it i think and, and i think rob reiner was able to capture um that in in a very perfect way and i think that's one of the reasons why stand by me to this day is you know easy top tier uh, uh king adaptation and mm-hmm. in, in the body is a top tier king story and it's evergreen yeah. too i think yeah. i think it speaks to every generation that that watches you know that, that watches it so right one one more memory from this is watching the tv edited version and during <laughs> the uh the chopper scene i remember distinctly him saying, but I didn't hear sickum. I heard chopper. Sick kid. Yep. Sip, sick kid. No, sick yep, kid. Yep. I remember that. Dude, they, they didn't ADR it very well either. No, it's one of the worst like, looping examples. Uh, yeah. Between Yippie Kaye, you bandit on uh, Die Hard TV and sick kid. That's just, I always think of that when that scene comes up is sick yeah. kid. You know what just occurred to me was that, like, I remember. My this must have been the first R-rated movie I saw too. Mm. I I never really put that together, but I saw this when I was very young and my watched it with my parents. And I remember there being some sort of discussion about whether or not I should see it, and then ultimately they're like, ah, it's fine. You know. Yeah. But he'll like the pie eating scene. Right. And <laughs> and I have distinct memories of my dad like reacting to the songs in the movie. And and certain details within the scenes like, oh, yeah, that's just like, you know, to him, that was that was what his childhood looked like, I guess. Right. And or, or it was at least a familiar era to him. Right. And um, I think it's interesting that that's like a bonus for people who live through the area, whereas the universality of the story um, kind of makes it like anyone can enjoy this movie. Right. And so what I'm on that train of thought, I'm thinking like, fuck, it's probably only a matter of time before they try to remake this. And it's like, oh, set don't say that. Like, but, but once you think of it, it's like, holy shit, someone out there is probably pushing this right now. Like, oh. especially with how popular eighties nostalgia is. I know. Like, I know if it's not, if, if that script doesn't exist in someone's hard drive somewhere, I would be, Shot. Well, I want Sean Lee- Levy will yeah. produce and or director. <laughs> oh God! Well, I was trying to think. This is about twenty-five year nostalgia, right? Because the movie or the the book, anyway, was set in nineteen sixty, and the movie came out in eighty-six, right? So mm-hmm. it's twenty-six years later. So we'd be talking about nineteen ninety-four, ninety-three <laughs> setting for a movie. Lawnmower Man era, baby. Yeah, yeah. You, could, you could do it if you wanted to follow tradition. Yes, that would be correct. But right. I think that, <laughs> right. I think that if you pitch that to a studio, and as soon as you get to eighties, they'd be like greenlit, done. Mm-hmm. Especially if you're yeah. talking to fucking Netflix, Stranger but, Things, and yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was I was gonna say like, what is the last stand by me? And I, my first thought was, uh, you know, like what 
Stranger Things, right? I mean, mm. like that's right, or is that, or is that Goonies? Like, uh, is that more Goonies, or is that I don't know? Stand there... by because there's nothing like Goonies is basically fantasy, you know? Yeah, it's mm-hmm. yeah. The the things that happen in that movie could not happen. Stranger Things too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And with Stranger Things with Stand by Me, that's. I think it needs to be it's more realistic. In reality. Yeah, it's rooted even, in reality. It's grounded. Yeah. So even like think, Bridge to Terabithia, you know, which I think would fill that void for that generation. It, but it's yeah, not it's, the same it's thing. No, yeah, it, fantasy. There's um, what's that uh, Jordan Vote Roberts movie, The Boys of Summer? That has that, yeah. I think it's something like that. That has the Son of Rambo. Son of Rambo's pretty pretty good. Oh, I, didn't yeah. see, uh, I, I didn't see mid nineties the Jonah Hill movie, but isn't that nineties uh, you know, yeah, nostalgia? You know, a little bit. To. I mean, I mean, yeah. I mean, not a little bit, a lot bit. Yeah. But it's uh, in, in terms of it being kind of in the Stand by Me vein, right. it's it's a little bit more like I don't know the the skater punk, yeah. you know, Har- Harmony Corinne, you know, right, light it's very thing, you know. So movie. it's yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I I like it, and I think the kid in that was was really great. But it's like. Yeah, no, there's nothing that has that that combination of like just authenticity and innocence and, you know, I don't know, authenticity. Like, that's what I keep going well, back to where it just feels like what it feels yeah. like. You know? Well, also the cast, the soundtrack, the cinematography. I mean, it's just it's yeah. a perfect storm of everything. There's never going to be another movie like it. And I don't think there's been a better vomiting scene. Maybe, maybe <laughs> Triangle Sadness. Maybe that oh, came close. Uh, but I'm gonna uh, team America. I'll put in a vote for Police, Team America. Yeah, yeah, Team America. Sure. Yeah. What, one of my biggest pet peeves with movies is vomiting. Whenever they like, they even in like the billion dollar movies, mm-hmm. when they throw up, they just throw up like a little bit of pea soup out of their mouth, and that bugs me so bad. It should be projectile. That's what that's uh-huh. what vomit is, and they just can't get that right. I'm. I mean, it's probably a logistical nightmare. Are you projectile vomiting every time you vomit? Well, no, it's there's a force to it, though. It doesn't like just like a little bit of spit up of barf comes out. Well, that's you know, like it's always like the muscles are working it. (laughs) I guess I guess I'm thinking of projectile vomiting as like the ultimate form of vomiting. Mm, Yeah. Whereas like there would be at least one other sub level before no vomiting. You know what I mean? I feel like there's a middle ground there that. But I still, I see your point. You no, know, there's not enough barf. It shoots. Yes, exactly. It's just like whatever they can hold in their mouth. And it just yeah. bugs me. But yeah, I still let me know. Yeah, in, in 4K, you can see that the tubes are behind their mouth. Like, I, that was one part of the cinematography where it's, oh, this might be a little too crystal clear because you can see <laughs> that it doesn't quite match up. But uh, it's a perfect movie. But, you know, it's a kid telling an exaggerated story. So there's some artistic license there, I think. Yeah, that's fair. So do we have anything else we want to talk about in relation to Stand By Me? Eric, you got anything further? Uh, Well, I mean, I could talk, break down like whole scenes in this uh, over and over again. Uh, But then that would get very tedious. I I think I do want to point out just something that strikes me every time I revisit this. And it just is makes it sadder uh, is that River Phoenix is just fucking Mm -hmm. incredible. Oh, right in this yeah when he has the all the kids are, are great and i think will wheaton gives a i think his performance is maybe uh overshadowed a little bit in people's minds by what river does because i think he pulls uh just as much weight as river phoenix does mm-hmm. in this. uh but the scene when when uh chris is is breaking down and crying and gordy has to be there to 
you know, to comfort him in the way that Chris has been comforting him for throughout the movie. Uh, you know, to it's one of my all time favorite cinema scenes and it's one of my all time favorite performances because you can look at the strong kid breaking down and he even ha- does the little, you know, tough guy covering is like, I guess I'm just a pussy, huh? Right. Um, you know, thing, but he, he just is able to be so nakedly emotional and as a character. And according to a lot of the behind the scenes on this, it's like, you know, that, that scene, Rob Reiner's notoriously said that like he talked to river Phoenix and uh, the, the direction he gave him is like, think in your life, uh, a, a time that adult has uh, disappointed you. And, and that apparently he pulled from some real heavy shit that he had been dealing with in his own life for that. And it just, you know, I, the world, the word I keep coming back to is authenticity. Like mm-hmm. you, it's real. Like that is real. It might be him doing a performance, but he's pulling in real emotion there. And, and he's at that perfect age. You know, I think they were all like 14, 13, 14, 15 when they were making this movie, you know, to where they, he could, he could uh, pull that off. And so I don't know. I, I, I wanted to at least give a, a little, little credit there to um uh river phoenix and specifically that scene sure uh, in the yeah movie. in his career i mean i feel like he has a very high batting average uh, back then you know right. like mosquito coast like explorers yeah. like all that i mean yeah he nailed it every time yeah sneakers so. and yeah it's yeah. like you know all, all you know uh, all throughout and it only you know it only makes it tougher watching the movie and watching him fucking fade away you know at, at the end and you know the whole thing ends with him you know talking about that character dying too young mm-hmm. and uh you know and it, it 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 gives the movie a little bit of melancholy that uh you know it was already a melancholic you know ending and reflective ending but it's uh you know, the real life stuff around it will, you know, has an impact and, and, uh, you know, I don't know. It, it all adds to the mystere of this movie. And, uh, and I, you know, I love it. This is one of my all time favorites. So we're just going to end the podcast in the sad ass huge note, huge huh? Bummer. Hey. <laughs> Think about dead river Phoenix. You're welcome. Now, now talk about your, your fun documentary. <laughs> well, one thing I'll say, I, I named my dog Gordy partially after this Gordy. Um, partially after Gordon Shumway, uh, <laughs> who's Alf, Alf's real name. But um, so this movie was very influential on me. But also the Chop and Steel movie is a lot about, you know, the movie is about this prank that, you know, we did on morning news shows playing a strongman duo and got sued for. But that's kind of what gets you in. But the movie ends up being about basically how to take a friendship you've had since you were 10, which is sort of the thesis of the, you know, you never have friends like you did when you're mm-hmm. 12. Yeah. Um, and Joe and I have somehow not only been able to stay friends for that long, but do continue to pull chi- childish pranks. <laughs> I don't know that we've ever evolved from that 12 year old friendship. I mean, and our other friend, Tom is, we're yeah. st- are still our, so our closest friendships are still in a way. It feels like we're sort of still in that standby me mode. Because we were at a standby me age too, and I, I don't know, it's yeah. kind of like if it ain't broke. I mean, we still say a lot of the, we we have our own secret language. You know, we have this whole like code of words that we use, not around other people, but like when the three of us are together, that we mm. still use. We're like you know forty seven years old, and we still use the same words that we used when we were 
you know, 10, 11. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, yeah, I don't know if it, if it ain't broke, but like what I'm learning is that that's pretty rare. A lot of people don't hang out with their friends from fourth grade. Yeah. You know, no, <laughs> I don't, I, I don't, I, I, I grew up with, um, you know, I had a circle of friends when I was growing up and, but then I got, uh, sent off to military school. So it was like, I only saw them during the summers. Then I had this like second family of friends that was all the guys from down there. And the only people in this wide stretch in that two sizable groups of friends is, uh, some of the guys I went to school with everyone else I've lost contact with, or, you know, and I'm not seeking it out. Someone, someone hit me up. Like it must've been five or six years ago because it was when I still had Facebook, but it was someone that I had not talked to in 20 plus years or more, you know? And yeah, I was just, I was sitting there reading the message and I'm thinking, God damn, like, I don't even, I don't really care to know this person anymore. Not enough that I'm going to explain the last 20 years of my life. Cause it's yeah. like, you know, my careers have gone in, or careers gone in wildly different directions every few years, you know? And just like catching up with, I guess I just don't feel much for, um, or I don't feel as let, strong a connection to those people. So let me ask you this: Do do you go to your high school reunions? No, no. Mm-hmm. I I made the mistake of going to my twenty five year. Uh, oh no! Two summers yeah. ago, never again. Never. What again. was it like? Uh, sad. It was at this uh, bowling alley that. <laughs> The, no. the, the <laughs> strike time lanes it uh in the bowling alley the bowling alley didn't work either so like there there will be no bowling uh we'll <laughs> hang out at the bar and they, if you I, want the ambiance of a bowling alley without any of the actual bowling <laughs> come, come to the, what it was and they had terrible food and for some goddamn reason i brought my wife who's like born and raised in new york and i thought oh this might be fun for her to go to a small town in wisconsin we'll go to a bowling alley it might be kind of fun she was miserable she was absolutely <laughs> miserable and I had to watch after her and then I had to negotiate with the, I got approached by uh, a former classmate who got mad at me because I made comics about her in, in high school. And I was like, no, 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 that was just because I had a crush on you. I made the comics about you because I had a crush on you. And she's like, no, I didn't like that you made comics about me. And I was just like, there's no malice. I don't know. I was just like yeah. arguing with strangers most of the night. So, yeah. oh, God. <laughs> Yeah, it's it never again. Awful. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, yeah. All right, can't. Yeah, you, you Joe, can't go back home. This is for a later <laughs> podcast, but Joe has also come across at least two dead bodies that I know of. Like been the first to find them. I have actually. Yeah. No shit. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. I found a. I mean, you really want to end this on a on a no, no. Note, I, uh, I was, okay. <laughs> I, but it just that is like. A, is there a way to tell the story in a funny way? Uh, yeah. the, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like an old woman torn to pieces by bad. No, no, no. It, it, like, it's going to start maybe. off. <laughs> it'll start mm-hmm. off sad and then it'll be funny at the end. So, okay, good. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I was working for the parks department in college and my job was to clean up parks and I would go out uh, on weekends. Uh, I didn't, you know, everybody else was off and I would be by myself. And uh, I went up to this one park, it had two levels, and I went in and I saw this guy laying in the middle of the field. And I was like, oh, maybe he's just taking a nap, hopefully. And I went up and cleaned the bathrooms. And on my way down, I was like, oh, I bet he's dead. I bet he's probably dead. And I went down and I got out of the car and I walked over. And on my way there, I saw bits of jaw in the parking lot. Like I saw like a jaw with like teeth still attached to it. 
And uh, I looked over and the guy had like shot his head off with a shotgun and the shotgun was like right next to him. And I'm the guy who's finding him. It's the middle of July. There's and it had blown all, all the way to the, the parking place. lot. He went uh, a little ways from the parking lot. So like, but he was right next to the parking lot and he was in the grass. Oh, God. And so, so then I was just like, holy shit. And I, I you know, I could I'm tell dying to find dead. out how this, this ends funny. <laughs> yeah, me too. Actually, it's already just a little bit funny so, if we're being the, honest. The, so I went to counseling. <laughs> it sounds like and... one of David Cross's. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's the ending. ending. Okay. Yeah. So I, so I uh, call in the CB. I call in. They send an ambulance out. While I'm waiting for the ambulance, this local pulls up in his car, and he has this big old Oldsmobile. He opens up the car, and two dogs come running out. Oh, no. And they immediately go to the dead, dead body and start sniffing around. And the guy's like, what's going on over there? And he was, he reminded me of like Eddie from uh, Christmas vacation. <laughs> and, and I was like, Oh, there's a dead guy over there. He must've shot himself with a shotgun and you know, he's, he's dead. And he goes, did you check his wallet yet? And I was like, no, I'm not going to check his wallet. I just, I called it in the ambulance is on its way. And I proceeded to have this conversation with this guy with, with cousin Eddie and he he told me about he he went over there and checked the wallet too. Like I was like, no 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 no, don't do that. I'm you know I'm 19 <laughs> years old, but I'm like, no, no okay, go ahead, I don't care. <laughs> yeah. And then he told me about uh, his dogs who are named uh, Elroy and what are the names of the Blues Brothers? Jake, Jake and Elwood. Jake and Elwood. Jake and Elwood. Not Elwood. Yeah, yeah. And he told me he's like, I actually named them after the Blues Brothers, and like we're having this conversation with like a, a dead body. 25 feet away from us so he's just he's uh, throwing you a lifeline he wanted to talk about the blues brothers yeah i'm sure that's <laughs> what he wanted of the to ted, do instead of the dead body like, oh, oh just now, roll now, the dice maybe he loves that movie i don't know <laughs> now, now here's but here's the supernatural this will tie back into uh stephen king that nice. night when i went home i was staying i was sleeping at my parents house and i had an out-of-body experience the only one i've ever had in my lifetime and i remember like waking up in the middle of the night on the ceiling looking down at myself and being like, holy shit, this is real. Like, I'm experiencing this right now. So, there we go. Oh, what? How's that? <laughs> How is it? But what is the... Like a lot of G- Stephen King books, it was a little disappointing at the ending. Um, <laughs> you should have seen this out-of-body experience. <laughs> All right. Uh, you would have, that, you would have been... Well, like, yeah. for instance, more if you had a... seen the ghost of the guy, right? I would see the connection. But you were... You, this is you, more of a train spotting connection. My, yeah. My do guy. you think it was like the trauma of seeing it just like fucked maybe, your head up that night? Maybe that was it. I don't know. I never talked to a psychologist. They they offered me a psychologist. I was like, nah, nah, I'm fine. I, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a man. I can handle it. Uh, and then I yeah, proceeded to rise <laughs> out of my own body that night. So uh, I don't know. I, uh, I haven't thought about it much until like right now. So, uh, yeah. My childhood uh, traumas usually manifest themselves into a, a corporeal spider that uh, I oh, tell yeah. at the end. So that's how yeah. you, you have out-of-body experiences. I have spiders that I need to slay. Yes. Yeah. That's that sounds perfect. fucking that, fun. Now that's a Stephen King. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then All I'll right. save my other dead body story for the next time we're on the podcast. Okay. Excellent. Okay. <laughs> All right. Yeah. You guys are going to do the Green Mile, and then we're going to talk about more, more dead bodies. <laughs> there we go.
And I, this was before re- recording, but I thought it was really cruel while I was walking to my computer to set up that you guys were chanting "boom, Baba, boom, Baba." I just I don't appreciate that one bit. Well, we like to create a nice ambiance, like not as not as perhaps not as nice as a bowling alley with no bowling, but you know, <laughs> something with a bowling alley. Then yeah, yeah, it's just an alley. Yeah. <laughs> um, where can people find Chop and Steel? You can uh, go to your favorite uh, video on demand service, uh, Apple or Amazon, and and watch it there. Or uh, it's going to be in theaters uh, this summer, and we'll we'll be doing um, performances of our Found Footage Festival after each show. And uh, you can find that at uh, foundfootagefest.com. Nice. And we awesome. uh, we have another website, chopandsteel.com. That'll have everything there too. And then well, I think the Blu-ray is coming out in July. We did a, a director's. Uh, we did a, a commentary on it with the directors. Oh, nice and uh, tell all the stories in there. So, yeah, look for that. Well, I highly recommend that everyone listening to this check out Chop and Steel, especially if you enjoyed our guest today. Um, Again, it is just so goddamn funny. You you will not regret uh, seeking that one out. Uh, Joe and Nick, thank you so much for being here today. This was an absolute blast. Thank you. Thanks, Eric. Sincerely. Many thanks to Joe Pickett and Nick Pruer. These guys were a delight. Uh, we oh, say man. people are delight all the time, but we've just had a really good string of delightful people. What can we say? But these yeah, dudes yeah, yeah. in particular, I could tell, like, I could hear just through the, the conversation, like Scott and them becoming BFFs. Like, yeah, I feel I, like it, we're, we're friendly, but like in whatnot. But I feel like you you in particular were just like, oh, these are my new best besties forever. I feel like Joe and I have a lot in common. I would like to spend time with Joe. I would like to walk on a beach with Joe. Um, mm-hmm. I would like to go to dinner with Joe and talk about our passions. Mm-hmm. Um, so Joe, open invitation, man. You know how to get a hold of me. I'm yeah, into Nick, it. Let's you be can buddies. go fuck yourself. Nick, Nick, I like, but I, it, Nick was great. Um, but I felt like there was, I think Joe and I recognize the, the mischief maker in each other. <laughs> right. And whenever you meet someone else who's like that, it's like, it feels like when you're a kid in class. You know, and you recognize another class clown and you're like, oh, this is going to be fun. Do you think that that listeners are going to listen to this one and kind of have that uh, Shaun of the Dead moment where they come across like their doppelganger selves? And and, uh, so I'm a little (laughs) bit more Nick and you're a little bit more Joe. Yeah. Yeah. That it's possible. (laughs) Just like other world versions. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, there's um, an idea for, for the next uh, uh, April Fool's podcast is they can they can do it as the alternate versions of us. Yeah. Um, and and they will be back on the show. Uh, we talked to them a little bit about that. I think it's on. I think we did that on the air. Talk to them about coming back mm-hmm. for. Yeah, we did. For, uh, for a commentary or something. But uh, we and love they those sent guys. A nice note. And- Yes. I want to. I want to interject. They sent a nice note, like, like, oh my god, we had such a good time doing this. It doesn't always happen, so we appreciate it. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, the uh, Chop and Steel, the the movie that they're uh, starring mm-hmm. in, is out as you're hearing this. Go rent it. It is funny as shit. It's got a lot of heart. Um, I I can't say enough good things about it. I. But as I said on the show, it's it's just a lot of fucking fun. I'd, and I think our listeners will get a real big kick out of that. that movie. Yeah, for sure. So do you want to talk about what we got on on the docket for the coming week? Let's see. Next week, we are speaking with a documentary filmmaker mm-hmm. uh, who I'm a very big fan of. This person has made uh, 
Um, well, he's probably best known to the crowd listening to this show as the guy who directed um, uh, a very popular popular uh, TV series um, that's somewhat uh, horror related. I guess I can mm. say that. And it's um, very horror related. We can. Yes, it's deeply one. horror related. Uh, and um, and he is going to be coming on to talk about uh, Needful Things, which is, you know, a title that we don't talk about as nearly as often as I like. So I'm always, always excited to uh, get another crack at that one. And um, this is this is one we recorded a long time ago, and it just kept getting bumped on the schedule because people were coming in and had to have their episodes tied to certain dates. Right. You know, so uh, maybe some of the references that we're making on the on next week's episode will be a little dated by a month or two. But um, we love the guest. We love the episode. We're excited for you all to hear it. Um, I'm glad we can finally take it out of the uh, like the queue. You know, right? Yes. it's it's t- it was like at a point where I was like, I'm going to have to send an apology email if this goes <laughs> on any further. Um, but that's the nature of the beast. Yeah, um, nothing to do with the quality of the episode. It just not was at all. Purely. Purely running, uh, running into these uh, release date things that, that people are coming on to, you know, promote their stuff, you know. Right. And uh, this this uh, person came on uh, without something to be like, I have to have this date. And which is a, me episode. just essentially repeating what you just said. So we yes. can move on from that. <laughs> uh, I just summed up your uh, your your very well thought out uh, uh, comments on that. Yes. Uh, but in terms of the Patreon this Friday, uh, we are doing another Stephen King news roundup. We're bringing in our friend Jermaine Lucier from uh, IO9. Uh, and, you know, he's kind of he's still in the bl- deep in the weeds in the blogging world. And uh, where Wampler and I are way more hands off. Uh, we still have our, our toes dipped in those waters uh, individually. I'm at Slash Film and, and you're, you're doing the Fangoria.com stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. but we're definitely not as, uh, immersed in it as, as somebody like Jermaine, who's, who's in, in the shit <laughs> on the daily, but that's heavily in the shit, but that means he's seen some, some stuff he's seen. He was at CinemaCon. He saw the boogeyman. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, we're definitely going to grill him on that. And it's been a big week for Stephen King news. So, uh, you got some Flanagan stuff. There's like a little dark tower update that he said that we'll, we'll definitely talk about. Obviously, they announced Flanagan and uh, is doing the life of Chuck, uh, which was a fucking big surprise to, to all of us. And and uh, yeah, we uh, didn't know about that one. No, we didn't. That's we're no- sneaky bastard. Pretty, I we're swear pretty to God. in the loop on this stuff. Every no. time you think you think that Flanagan boy is giving you the, the full story. It right? turns out he's he, there's there's something else hiding, hiding in the wings. That we need to get him back onto the show and and give him what for about this. Hell yeah. Like you've already picked your title. We know we've been trying to get you on. If you're hearing this, you need to show up, buddy. Yeah, Sit come down on. Behind the mic. Let's get this done. I know you're you're uh, spending your days in the picket lines and we appreciate you for doing that, standing up for your WGA brethren, but you know, carve out an hour in the evening. What you know. You know what? I wonder if it would be possible to do the uh, do an episode with Mike while he's picketing. Uh, you know, I listened to John August and Craig Mason's uh, podcast script notes and John August has been doing interviews from the picket line as like little sub, uh, episodes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and those are fascinating. So I don't know. I'm not just saying that it's not out of the realm of possibility. We'll just have to fly to Los Angeles, find no, out would, wherever. Yeah, figuring out how we would 
and this isn't an invitation to tell us how to do this. Please, please don't. <laughs> but we would have to we'd have to figure out how to we would have. To, I, I, in fact, I've already figured out how we would do it. It would just be a pain in the ass compared to what we normally do. Mm-hmm. And the audio quality might be shit. I don't know. It was a fun idea, but we don't have to do it now that everyone's complaining. <laughs> anyway uh, but yeah, um we got that flanagan news we also they announced the monkey is is uh in the works i couldn't uh, an believe that yeah yeah it's just uh, this morning yeah so i mean who knows what's going to happen be- between now and when we record the episode but no matter what it will be on our patreon this friday at uh, patreon.com slash the king cast uh yeah and so sign up there listen to that and you can get instant access to all of our uh, episodes we've done over the last two and a half years of the Patreon, and that's a ton of shit. So you're going to get a lot of really fun stuff. If you've only listened to the uh, main feed, you're only getting half the show. Yeah, that's the slogan. That's it the is. We're going to put that on the, the T-shirt. Patreon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then sell it to Patreon members. Boom. Doubling our money. Dollar, Syn- dollar bills, y'all. Synergy, baby. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, ready I think for an $80 T-shirt? <laughs> <laughs> You know, there might be some some people that that would buy that, and that uh, that make that makes me happy and sad at the same time. But why don't uh, we just make one T shirt and sell it for ten thousand dollars? That's ooh, the way to go. It's know? like NFTs, but just with a, a, a physical. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, an it's NFT a fungible shirt. token. <laughs> oh man, that's what we'll do for next year's April Fools: is NFT shirts. <laughs> it's the sold already <laughs> yeah we, we're getting all of the great ideas now for for next year's april fools yeah um all right well we'll see y'all next week in the main feed for needful things and this friday for the stephen king news roundup over at the patreon adios folks bye the king cast is a fangoria podcast production the show is produced hosted and created by eric vespi that's me and scott wampler tira ansley and abby goel are executive producers Daniel Danger is our art director, and editing is done by yours truly. Mm-hmm.